0: Yeah, I ended up at Tesla currently doing some manufacturing and, but as Bernie said, it's hard work and I applied many times to Tesla in my previous years and I did not get it, but I didn't let it stop me and just continue to uh, work on my skills, work on my craft and get experiences that would be relevant enough
1: to eventually land the role. Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world with your hosts, David Ye and Panithu Padia. Before we get into the episode, we have a free MSc company database categorized by industry sector, location, as well as internship and full-time titles, so you can find that link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey, everyone. hope you're all doing great today. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 50. That's the big 5-0. It's been a really fulfilling and exciting experience for David and I to be able to chat with incredible guests and meet MSEs from around the world. So we just wanted to take this time to quickly thank you all for listening and tagging alongside David and I as we kind of uncover the unique ways material science makes an impact all around us. So many more episodes to come. As for this episode, we received pretty positive feedback from our last Q&A in episode 43. And frankly, we really enjoyed recording it too. So we're going to do another one today. We asked fellow MSCs what challenges they faced and what they'd like us to talk about. So we're going to just share our experiences and corresponding advice based on two pretty different paths that we followed in our respective MSC careers. So. If you'd like to submit any more questions for another Q&A, you can do so through the contact page on contact us page on www.itsamaterialworlds.podcast.com or by leaving a comment on our YouTube video or our LinkedIn post. And without further ado, we can get on to our first question. So, this one is brought to us by Mandy. Her question is what motivated you to choose MSC and eventually choose your specific discipline within MSE. David, do you want to start out? Yeah, sure. So going into it, uh, I actually wanted to be a chemical engineer and I went to a
0: few college visits. How dare you? And is that <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, it's actually at Virginia Tech where I had a break and there's a material science. And so I went and saw it. And instead of a boring informational session, they did cool science experiments and much more interactive. So that sparked my interest. and Finally, when I visited Georgia Tech, I put MSc as a potential major, and the recruiting lady from the department actually reached out and basically invited me on to have an informational interview beyond the general session hosted by Georgia Tech, and so I think that uh, that gave me a much deeper insight, and after looking more into MSc uh, between chemical engineering and the applications and what exactly you would do that's why I chose MSC is because it's more hands-on, more applicable and not so much just about processes, but more about the understanding of the fundamentals and the application of the science. So that's why I chose MSC, but I always knew I wanted to go something
1: chemical, uh, physical. Nice. What about you? Yeah, mine was kind of similar. I always loved chemistry in my senior year. I think that was of high school. That was my favorite class, AP chemistry. And I like, I had a more greater affinity towards that, but I guess earlier on in my high school career, my dad kind of signed me up for a Duke tip course in nanotechnology. It was like an intro to nanoscience and nanotechnology. I learned about the Lysurgis cup and really the overarching idea that the smallest things can make the biggest differences. And that kind of just resonated with me for the rest of my high school career. There's a lot of chemistry involved in that basic course. And when I kind of fell in love with chemistry, that just connected the dots. Nanotechnology was a component of material science. So I didn't really think about mechanical engineering or chemical engineering. I just kind of dove right into material science and never looked back. And I guess in terms of the the follow-up question, uh, how did we choose our specific discipline within MSE? So right now I'm working at Boston Scientific in the medical device manufacturing space. And it honestly took a while to get there and really figure that out. That's the cool thing about MSC, but it's a blessing and a curse is you can do whatever you want within this space. So I started out doing battery research. Like David and I were part of this MSC research scholarship program. That's how we really became good friends. And then kind of transitioned from there into a Polymers internship. So kind of unrelated. Um, But I connected the dots through my materials characterization experience and jumped from Polymer's internship to GE Aviation internship, so aerospace industry. And then Dave and I had worked on a capstone project together with four other MSEs on medical devices. And that's when I was like, yeah, I really like this. I like the impact it can make. And I love the healthcare industry. And so I ultimately kind of just combined all of those experiences and really just aimed for entering the medical device industry for my full-time role. So that's kind of how I ended up here. The big thing I learned is that play the long game and your stress kind of reduces. You don't have to land your like dream internship in your first or second year. You can build on each experience over time and that'll help you get to where you want to be. And I think David, you can kind of relate to that, right? Like it was building on a lot of your research experience, or five years of research and your your battery internship, et cetera, to ultimately have become the ideal candidate for like your Tesla internship, right? Yeah. I ended up at Tesla currently doing cell manufacturing.
0: And like Pune said, we were in the research program. And so I kind of just lucked into my discipline is that I was randomly assigned a professor who had new batteries and it just happened to stick. And so uh, I enjoyed it so much my first year. I just kept on going, kept on going (laughs) all the way through undergrad and into graduate. So that's how I kind of found my discipline. But as Pune said, it's hard work. And I applied many times to Tesla in my previous years and I did not get it, but I didn't let it stop me and just continue to uh, work on my skills, work on my craft and get experiences that would be relevant enough to eventually land the role. And so I actually didn't land it at all while I was in undergrad, but I finally got one when I was in master's. So it just took a lot of persistent growth and um, trying different things until eventually I was able to get it. So it was a long journey. And uh, (laughs) I kind of lucked into what I wanted to study in the first place. But after that, it's just been consistently working towards that goal
1: right but you also tried like other experiences too right like you had a data science internship you had a polymers focused internship too right so like Mm. you might have lucked into like the path that you wanted to follow but in addition to that you also tried other things and you're like okay these are the parts I liked about it but also like I like the battery stuff more right
0: yeah yeah so I went through my rebellious teenager phase of (laughs) batteries are lame. So I did try two different internships and I think I just kept on finding myself coming back to like the pure R and D engineering standpoint that energy storage could relate rather than like a more of a product manager and a data scientist didn't give me the same exact feel as like a battery engineer. So I think eventually that's why I came back and, I started, but throughout the entire time, I was still doing the academic research just because I did
1: enjoy that aspect. I just didn't know if I wanted to do it for a full-time job. Yeah. So it really speaks to the idea of like, with every experience, you learn something, even if it's just like crossing that item off the list. So yeah, totally makes sense. So we can go on to the next question. This is from Bennett. How do you find roles you're qualified for? Outside of the traditional materials engineer or materials scientist positions, so I guess I can take the first crack at this one. First of all, again, like I mentioned, you can really do whatever you want within MSC. Um, I've seen material scientists end up doing like product management, consulting, entrepreneurship, systems engineer, like all types of roles. And so maybe the first thing I'd like to say is we, we created, you know, an MSC company database. Free to access. You can find that in the link in the description. And that comes with like different companies and different roles that MSEs have previously landed. So that could be a good starting spot. Outside of that, again, it's very industry specific. So I'd recommend developing connections with alumni, especially MSE alumni at your school or using LinkedIn to connect with other MSEs in industries that you're interested in. And then kind of ask them or just do a search to see like what roles did they end up in. And you can kind of just like follow that blueprint for success. I think that's about as detailed as I can get to start out. But David, do you have anything else there?
0: Yeah, I think I would like to like re-emphasize what uh, Puneet said, but moving beyond just repeating him, I think the other things that have helped me is like I said, I did a product management and a data science internship is the the main factor was getting a minor in a like an unrelated field. so I got what's equivalent to a business minor. And so that shows that like you're multifaceted and gets you for roles that would otherwise be looked over. And so for the product management, it was a lot about implementing new materials and then creating business plans around them. And so I actually talked to my boss on like the last day and he said that, yeah, we had some chemical engineers, but like, The way you describe material science uh, science as being the application of new materials is like what really sold me. And so there is differentiation, but at the same time, you still need the other skills to kind of get you in the door. So if I didn't have any business skills, like uh, business plan making or anything like that, then it probably would have been a harder sell for them to take a chance on me. And so that's what helped me out a lot in that role. And then in that program, I also did a capstone project with the company I worked at, Equifax, as a data scientist. And so taking opportunities where there's little pressure or you get to sign up for, such as your capstone, is a great way to get into a role that you probably would never be considered for otherwise if you really want to try something new and going for it. Because for your capstone, it's more just like, oh, I'm a dedicated student. I want to try this new thing rather than trying to show the company that you have like four years of experience in a certain field and you have like relevant coursework. So I think that's what helped me the most in winning that one is taking opportunities where they lie and trying to apply them and reemphasize your material science. And so, for example, in the interview, they said, why wouldn't we want to hire a material scientist who's not a statistician? And so you can give the the story of the Arrhenius equation is just the probability of like the release of an atom. And so, a lot of our equations that we use today are just probabilities right. of something occurring at a certain point. And so, that's a way to say, like, I do have like stats in my roots. It's just you never heard of it because it's just not your domain, but there is stats and data and science, all of this. In my field, it's just nothing that you've seen of. And so let me explain how I can apply these new ways of thinking. And so one of my favorite stories from that internship is that my boss was telling me that, that yeah, they bring in a lot of people from different backgrounds. And he actually brought in the lumberjack. And the lumberjack had an affinity for the random force models. And so I think he may have been making a joke. But the idea <laughs> that we can take ideas from other places and apply them to something new is extremely important and something that can differentiate yourself because you have 10 people that think the same way because they've all been trained the same way. Uh, Why not throw in someone new to bring in from like an MSc or like, for example, electrical engineering has given a lot to the data science field. And so taking from other
1: resources is how they grow the field further. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's really great. That's a great point because it works not just in realms totally like outside of what we think about in the material science scope, like you were saying with with Equifax. But even in the medical device industry, naturally, obviously, like most people in this space are biomedical engineers or mechanical engineers. It's few and far between where you see material science and engineering majors, but you can kind of use that same technique of marketing yourself that David mentioned where you say, Hey, I can bring this unique value as an MSC. My materials background can differentiate myself, you know, contribute in a unique way to these ongoing projects that involve maybe a design change, like involving another material in our medical device, in our catheter or something like that. So yeah, just to reiterate what, what David said, like, you just have to kind of twist your story and manipulate it so that the recruiter can see the value that you provide. And I know that's very industry specific. So you you kind of have to like connect with other MSEs, right, David? Like you have to connect with other people to see how you can like leverage your existing skills to tell that story. And we try to do that. We try to condense all that information in MSE Academy, like our online course, where you can use their resumes, you can watch their video testimonials to gain that blueprint of a success and save yourself hundreds of hours of networking. And you gain instant access to a network that will also help you kind of achieve your goals at an accelerated rate. You know, if you think about it with like a Lego set, right? Like you'd rather have the step-by-step manual of how to build it rather than just trying to look at the box and just do it all on your own, especially if it's really complex, right? So yeah, we kind of just created that resource because we felt it was, we would have loved to have that when we were in undergrad. So we just wanted to make that for other MSEs as well. I think that it's very hard and it's also
0: almost like you have to fight for the right to even be in the same room, but yeah, that's what makes you stronger. And uh, that's how you're going to get into something that no one else has done
1: before and give you unique opportunities. Yeah. And we'll talk about marketing yourself as an MSE at a little bit later but the next question is what has been your favorite msc related project thus far um this can be from school research or internships so what comes to mind first david yeah
0: um i think my favorite research project of all time was from my research actually it was for basically what was happening was we created a lithium cell and if you think of a cell you have your anode at your bottom you have some sort of electrolyte, and then you have your lithium at the top. And usually you have a separator in between to make sure they don't touch. But basically my lab group created a method where we could put the anode on a glass pane and a strip of lithium. We could cut out the center and put that on a glass pane and then put an o ring around both of those and then fill it up with electrolyte. And then you could take it to an optical microscope. This was a liquid electrolyte, not a solid state. Yeah, liquid electrolyte. And you can watch lithium seed on your anode. And so that was extremely cool because before, like if you think of a battery, it's in a closed case, you can't actually see what's happening. And so that was the first in-situ experiment that I've ever led myself uh, trying to figure out. And so I borrowed the design of the cell from another lab mate, and then I tried to apply it for how does lithium kinetics of seeding work? And so I plotted the electrochemical and I had the time and then I would overlap the two. And so you could see this beautiful display that would take like an hour to do. And I sped it up into 20 seconds and you could see all these crystals growing and then fading and then growing and then fading. And so so being able to like see that in real time was something that I never thought I would do. And it was also extremely hard because as you go through chemical reactions, gas is produced and so there would be bubbles, and so he set up. It was fighting against like everything, <laughs> but I finally got like a couple of good videos with no bubbles, and it was just extremely cool to watch something that I knew about theoretically but had never seen with my own eye. Wow! And so seeing that was something amazing. So I think that has been my
1: favorite research experiment so far. That's awesome. What did you? used to like create that video and and see that in like in situ was that SEM, TEM and then some other Cambridge? No, it was actually just an optical cell. Uh The seeds are so large that you can actually see it with just
0: an optical microscope. Oh wow. So uh, again, it would be much larger than you would ever actually see, but we went much further just to see the exact kinetics and try to make
1: some conclusions. So it was very cool. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. I guess my favorite project was the capstone design project that I mentioned earlier um, the one I worked on with David, which is medical device related. We ended up working with Emory physicians in like the cardiovascular space, um, electrophysiology, I believe where we ultimately designed a drape that goes over the body for like a patient that needs to be resuscitated, right? Like a sudden cardiac arrest in hospital, you know, we saw studies that showed that delays in the application of chest compressions lead to a lower resuscitation success rate. And what we learned was that the longest delay that happens is when defibrillators are applied onto the body, right, onto the patient's chest. So that's where, you know, Physicians like clear and then has to like prep the body and and everything. And so there just happens to be a delay where no chest compressions are being applied. And so what David and I worked on was we designed this drape that kind of unfurls onto a patient's body. And it, it was like a polyethylene drape. And so like a physician could apply chest compressions while the defibrillator pads are applying electric shock. And that physician would still be protected from that electrical shock. So that was a really cool experience because we got to go through the whole like design thinking process. We got to discuss the user needs with these Emory physicians and just like test the resistivity of our polymer and compare it to other materials as well. So yeah, it was just overall a really cool experience from the design standpoint, from the material selection standpoint that I just hadn't gotten in previous projects and, and previous courses. And that ultimately led me to choose the medical device space, like for my full-time role too.
0: What's What's your least favorite? MC oh gosh, <laughs> my least favorite. Uh-huh. Mine was, we had to make styrofoam balls form of like BCC. Oh so I would say that Watching lithium plate has been my coolest, and making styrofoam ball structures of BCC FCC have been my least favorite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was not our first year, though, so we didn't it read it. <laughs> yeah, we were making BCC and FCC. Yeah, that, that was definitely like yeah a project that was a tough one. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it was just it was just long. I would I would say there is there is other ones I would say maybe in like my more like battery research. Sorry, no shade at the battery industry, but. <laughs> I guess it was just like, it wasn't the project itself. It was just like the repetitive nature of it, like testing conductivities, the long wait time and like the impedance analysis was cool about it. Just the actual testing, like that project felt a little bit monotonous in my mind. So that's why it was was probably like ranked on the lower end. We can move on to the process of marketing yourself as an MSE. So, David, do you have any advice on doing so when it comes to speaking to recruiters, applying online, or even interviews with hiring managers? Like you've probably heard before, I think something that we
0: always emphasize is that nobody really knows exactly what an MSC does. And so it's up to you to describe it to them. And so almost my go-to is always that it's the physical application of all the other fields knowledge into an actual product. And so it's the knowing how physics works, how chemistry works, how mechanical engineering works, all these different fields and applying them to actual products. And so when we think about actual products that have come out, um, a lot of MSCs have played a role because they can take all these fields and put them together into one final product. And so that's how I like to describe it as basically the accumulation of all these other specialties into physically putting it into the product and knowing how everything will work together from a material standpoint. And so I think that helps a lot uh, when recruiters don't exactly know. And then, of course, you can always shape it to exactly the role you're applying to. And so when you go for the product management, for example, it's more about I understand how to take a raw material and what steps and processing conditions are needed and the costs associated with said processes to make a full blown uh, product from your raw material. And I have a better knowledge of the application than like a chemical engineering would like know the process of like making it. He would, he would be the front end of making the raw material and I would take the raw material and I would apply it to the product. Yeah. And that's how I think I differentiated myself over other chemical engineers that I
1: know apply applied for the job. Yeah, you can think of that as like a systems level perspective where you get like more of an overarching view of the entire process as a whole and the potential applications as well. So just to reiterate what David said, you know, when you're speaking with recruiters at a career fair and they don't know what MSE is then they probably know what mechanical engineering is and what chemical engineering is. So you can kind of say it's a a blend between the two. You're taking the same core courses. That's what I think is important to mention is like, you're not any different from them. You're taking the same courses. So you're learning the same things, but our background in both physics and chemistry, as well as our knowledge of material processing and properties kind of gives us that edge to develop like higher performing cost-effective materials for whatever application. So like an example is for, for aerospace, like our multidisciplinary background allows us to consider like all the factors when it comes to developing, let's say a lightweight alloy for the bearing housing in your aircraft engine. So I can think about, and I know about the composition of the materials. I know about the manufacturing challenges that can come into play and also um, I have a better idea of how it would interact with surrounding components. One other thing I wanted to add is I've seen a lot of MSEs enter more of like the processing side of things, the manufacturing engineer type roles. So another example is, you know, your experience with operating different 3D printing parameters or like your knowledge of process related properties in a material, like a polymer's glass transition temperature or a metal's ductile to brittle transition temperature. Like that helps you gain a better understanding of how a company's processes work. Like you can get, gain a deeper understanding, more technical, and that'll help you quickly identify the root cause when challenges arise, like scrap rate is up or like your efficiency isn't meeting like the metrics that, that you need to meet. Right. So yeah, that's what I'd add there. David, anything else? Yeah, I think you bring up an excellent point with the manufacturing side. So currently I am
0: in uh, electro manufacturing. So I'm taking the overall powder and making an electrode out of it. And so I work on the dry battery electrode process that was talked about in Battery Day by Elon. And so I would say that first off, my boss is MSC. And so I also think that if the person you're applying to is MSC, they value that a lot because they know the versatility as well. But beyond that, I think MSE has positioned me very uniquely to understand the machine as a whole. And so one of my main jobs is understanding everything that's happening. And if there's any problems, how do you like troubleshoot it? And so having that MSE background, knowing exactly why materials fail, you can apply that to a broader scale of why does this machine fail? And so going through and understanding not only like the material properties of like the powder, but like the material properties of each of your parts and how they react under stress and heat and how we can troubleshoot that to trigger pressure and force, etc., gives you a very unique way of thinking about things that can help you succeed where others just don't have the broader knowledge to be able to loop everything together and would solely focus on the equipment or solely focus on the material. but. It's like not being a master, but like understanding how to troubleshoot it. And that makes it extremely valuable when something arises while you're trying to run and you have to quickly iterate through solutions to try to fix it quickly. Is Like I understand the fundamentals. Why is this part squeaking? It's probably because X, Y, Z. And so being able to have that broader knowledge has given me the ability to be able to troubleshoot a lot faster without the need to wait on other teams to come support. And
1: so I think that's where MSC has also been extremely effective in its role. Right. And so I guess that leads us naturally to the next question, which the idea is like, what topics should I focus on and pay attention to in like our MSC course curricula? Like what classes should I take? And how how do I develop that like broader knowledge that you were talking about to like be able to troubleshoot more effectively? So any preliminary thoughts there?
0: Yeah, so uh, as a battery engineer, you would think that I would say functional classes or classes about batteries, but honestly the most helpful classes have been things such as polymers where I've used that a lot. And I think that's partly due to having like uh, plastic deformation and other things specifically with polymers on the machine and in our powder. And so I think that's been extremely helpful. But then also, like, zooming out some more, understanding broad things about the battery field has helped in certain respects. But it really has been just a broad understanding of, like, the fundamentals. So I had a project where knowing what a TG was basically cut the, like, the solution time down, like, by three quarters of the time. And so just knowing, like things to look out for in each field. So like the brittle to tran- uh, brittle to ductile transition, like you were saying, and the TG and material properties that are important for materials performance has been like probably like the most helpful. So like basically the trivia facts um, <laughs> have, have been more helpful than the actual deep dives, but going deeper into MSC has also helped me when, okay, so now we know it's a TG problem, how do we solve it or why is this happening? And then you have to do a deeper dive into that area. And so I'm sure as my projects evolve, I'll bring in more of my research. But just knowing like what to look out for, like like material properties in general, what to look out for? What, how do materials tra- uh, like perform under heat? How do they perform under stress, et cetera, has been by far the most helpful thing for me in my role currently. Than an actual deep dive into every little thing. Like I don't have to know exactly how to improve power density by X, Y, Z, but I do have to know how density and like thickness helps the battery in general, things like that.
1: Like the basic knowledge is what helps the most. What about you? Well, you mentioned trivia facts. So one thing came (laughs) to mind, I want to ask you, David, do you remember what the alpha to beta quartz transition temperature is? It's like 79 C, right? Or something like that. I thought it was like 576 C. That sounds way more accurate. I think 76 <laughs> C is undershooting it by a lot.
0: So um, I, I would fill my class.
1: <laughs> All right. It is 846 Kelvin. What is that in?
0: Yeah, you're right. That's like 576. Okay,
1: so, cool, cool. Yeah, you're, you're much closer.
0: <laughs> I definitely undershot that by a lot. So. <laughs> Yeah, for those uneducated, uh, one of our professors uh, made us memorize that number and would put it on like put on like three tests yep. uh, that semester. And so, uh, sorry, I, I would fail
1: that. Now, You're like uh, five hundred degrees much. off. Yeah, I'm like five. You would be very disappointed. Um, it's okay. It's all good. It's all good. But yeah, I, I mean, I totally would agree. Like the fundamentals matter the most. That's what undergrad really is all about that's one thing I realized in my full-time role is like, I never would have guessed that my polymer science and engineering class and my ceramics class were the two highest contributors to my medical device experience. And specifically, it wasn't even the whole ceramics class. It was like specifically the parts about piezoelectric materials and how they work. And so again, that's the point of undergrad is just like getting a breadth of knowledge. And one added thing I'd like to add is that in order to determine like what topics you want to pay attention to or what classes you should take in your latter half of your undergrad career, that kind of requires a determination of what Applications you want to seek out, like what industries you'd like to enter, then we can kind of answer that question of what topics you should pay attention to. So, honestly, maybe if you're like in your second or third year, I'd recommend starting to talk to people in industries or companies you're interested in and asking, like, you know, what materials related topics they currently work on. And that can help dictate, like, what you're taking in your fourth year, if you want to pursue like a five year bachelor's and master's program, or even your PhD too. So yeah, that's the only thing I'd add. Uh, Next question. So what skills would you recommend developing that are generally not part of the core MSE curriculum? So I guess I can start with this one. Um, The first one I would say that I kind of wish I took, but wasn't required in, in our curriculum was CAD, like SolidWorks, computer-aided design, that specifically helps with maybe more process relating and manufacturing related roles and also design roles as well. But just being able to use AutoCAD or SolidWorks and having maybe a side project or taking a course there or like LinkedIn learning, I think that goes a long way. There's definitely a lot of roles that prefer having experience there. And that's how you can kind of match up toe-to-toe with mechanical engineering majors who have to take that class. So that opens you up to more possibilities there. And the other thing I would add is learning statistical analysis software, like Minitab, or you can even do it with Excel. Like I think Minitab, you might have to purchase it if you don't have a license to it, but you can take LinkedIn learning courses or other things as well. And just be able to use statistical analysis tools and, and learn the purposes of that, that goes a long way in a, like quality engineer roles, manufacturing roles too. And that can also help with data science, which I think David will get to next.
0: Yeah, I think the two things that I've used in after data science and all my projects and all my roles, the thing that I started using the most is like just like Python, as well as like data uh, like data science in general. So like statistics and such like that. And so I actually took a graduate level statistics class, like as an intro to statistics. And while I wouldn't say I'm any like statistics master, I think understanding the core fundamentals has helped me a lot. And basically it's just a tool bag. And so a lot of things is I want to solve this question like for processing, like how many defects are every meter? Like how long can I run without X? And because of the statistics class, I know that there's already statistical methods to help me answer that question where before it would just kind of be like, I'm not quite sure even where to begin. And so I think the best thing about that was just understanding like what tools are out there and now I have all the slides to go back and reference and just, they give me a starting point to Google search yeah, at least. And so that's been very helpful, but definitely coding is the new thing as well and just, being able to understand code and write some basic code has been very helpful, especially when it comes to like visualization as it's sometimes very hard with Excel to get exactly what you want. It's very easy in Python to get exactly what you want. And so I think learning how to code has been very helpful. Uh, And then of course, just the application of the statistics to data sets. And so I think the largest thing about learning data science for me was what does it take and what does it look like to collect data? Right, And so when you're on the floor, what exactly should you be paying attention to? What parameters are you like focusing on? And I think that's all stuff that I didn't know what I should even look for until I tried to build models like, oh, this is what I should be looking for. And so for example, uh, at my job here, I started a defect catalog where I started in September, but in December I was like, hey, like this might be helpful, Let's try to build a model with the data. And it was only because I was in the mindset of like, hmm, these parameters are probably the most important and then I'll add more if I need to. Yeah, Was the only reason why I was able to get any meaningful results instead of having to wait another three months after I decided, hey, like maybe I should try to make a model out of this. And so I think by far just understanding like what a database looks like, like what are the key factors, what are the key variables, understanding what goes into a model has helped me a lot just as like an engineer to know what to look for. And I think that that's something that I didn't even know that I needed to know until I got to the point where I am today. I'm like, hey, like, I'm really glad I started to take such detailed notes when we were really just like starting up and didn't even care about some of these things. So just understanding the framework of how things work has been probably
1: the most important skill that I learned that hasn't been an MSc-related skill at all. Yeah and it kind of also just teaches you how to develop your problem solving mindset right like that was one thing i learned with just like our matlab course was the like it's basically a logic puzzle that you're trying to solve and write steps to solve that problem consistently right so you don't have any like errors or if you try like some something extreme it's it still works right so yeah i mean i think you you nailed it right right on the head like you, you have like a different mindset that you can implement when you get like coding experience and and just kind of learn that world as well. And before it leaves my mind, before it escapes my mind, just double checked. I don't want to spread any misinformation, but the alpha to beta quartz transition temperature is 573 degrees Celsius. I think I said six, so I was three degrees <laughs> off, but I wasn't 500 degrees off. So. I wasn't 500 <laughs> degrees off. I got
0: the seventy. I got
1: I, you no, got the seven right? good job. Yeah. <laughs> I got one.
0: I got one number.
1: <laughs> you were so close. <laughs> yes. Cool. All right. Um, our last question for today is less MSU related, more just job search related. Um, it's what can you do to optimize your LinkedIn profile for the job search? So first thoughts. I think that you've had a lot more experience uh, using LinkedIn <laughs> as a tool. So uh, I think you should take the first You're going to defer to me. Okay. Well, first of all, I would say try to look at it through a different lens as like a recruiter or a hiring manager, like a- arriving at your profile for the first time. So what do they see first? They see your headline and then they see like your about section. So your headline, like, Most likely for me, it would say like design assurance engineer at Boston Scientific. At Georgia Tech, it would say like material science and engineering student at Georgia Tech. And so I would just recommend thinking about different ways to provide the most value in that short headline um, where you can kind of include interests and and keywords that would capture a recruiter's attention. So, you know, there is like hundreds of MSc students at Georgia Tech, right? So that might not be the most effective way to differentiate yourself. Consider also adding other interests, like, you know, like battery battery science, or like if you bring something else to the table, like business acumen, um, including that, or like strong leadership skills, or just like think about ways that you're unique, right? And then kind of convinced them to scroll down a little bit and check your about section. So for me, I kind of started with just like what I'm passionate about. And then I got into some of my experiences, like what I'm currently doing, and then like my past internship experiences. And I kind of just wrapped it up with like, hey, here's like six or seven skills and and characteristics that that i possess that i think would make me a quality candidate for like full time opportunities that included materials testing and characterization experience process capability analysis also soft skills like leadership and cross functional collaboration things like that and then i wrapped that up by saying like if you would like to chat or like if you'd like to get to know each other then feel free to connect with me like provide some call to action so they they know okay like what's the best way to reach you
0: I I think that the part about the headline I think is especially pertinent due to the fact that yeah there are like hundreds of other students at Georgia Tech and so what makes you stand out so any any like discipline or anything like that and I think that's most important to really stand out because I don't really care that you're a student like of course you're a student (laughs) like no offense like we have such little space, right? We have like five seconds to catch someone's eye. And if the first thing they see is just student, like you're no different than anyone else. And so you need something extremely quick to grab them um, and something that like shows that you're different. And you also have to think, how many people are going to be typing student at Georgia Tech where you would have a match? They would be looking for other skills, like for specific roles, like, like biomed or batteries or energy storage or et cetera. So I would much rather have that in my headline to show them that that's what I'm focusing on rather than student. They can find out that I'm a student once they click on my profile. It's like the first thing with education. So uh, I don't think that needs to be there. And then, uh, yeah, for the about me section, I think that some of my experiences for people who don't understand, kind of see them all disjointed and the about me section is a way to like weave a web to connect them all and to create a cohesive story about who you are what are your values and what do you want to do yeah what impact do you want to make and so i think in mine i talk to like uh, especially about like sustainability and so i'm passionate about sustainability and i want to accomplish my goal through energy science with my other skills being ways that I can help achieve my goal past just my technical knowledge. So I think those two parts that you're talking about are really important.
1: And I would also say like, while you're a student take advantage of the LinkedIn learning courses that you I think will have access to just through your school school's email, And there is like, you can have like licenses and certifications as well. Like you can have a section dedicated towards that. I know David, you and I were talking about that like a couple summers ago, right? About just like taking the quizzes and that's (laughs) kind of like an endorsement of of your skills, skill set too, right? Like Python or or CAD or, or whatever. So that kind of like goes alongside your skills section and also just like, you know, get your peers, like team members you've worked with to like, endorse you on LinkedIn for relevant skills and you can do the same for them. Um, That goes a long way. And then I would say with your experiences section, maybe including like bullet points of like specific things that you've done. I think if you're scrolling on the app or even if you're clicking on like a computer, you don't see all of those bullet points right away. So it doesn't like Distract the reader if they don't want to see that, but if they are interested, then they can click on that experience and get more information. So it can only help you; it doesn't really hurt you, in my perspective. Again, I'm not a recruiter, so that's a disclaimer. But these are things that that I've seen and that people have found like useful when like using maybe my LinkedIn profile as as a template of sorts.
0: To give more context around the uh, LinkedIn quizzes,
1: <laughs> I think it was during COVID. I was like,
0: oh yeah. Uh, The rumor on the street was that they could replace some like skills assessments at jobs if you ever applied. I don't think that's actually happened. So uh, (laughs) I think I just did them for fun at this point. But yeah, they're actually pretty hard and quite humbling. Uh, Like I did an entire summer internship with SQL. And then I took a SQL test and I didn't pass. Uh, and I was like, wow, okay, I guess I don't know that much about SQL. That's, that's crazy. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely hard and just it, it shows something else. And uh, I think that best case scenario, they look at it. And instead of just having on your resume, like, oh, yeah, I'm proficient at Microsoft Excel. yeah, Like, sure, everybody's proficient at Microsoft Excel. Are you actually good? And then they can look at your LinkedIn profile and say like, oh, they passed the test. And the way the test works is that you have to score in the top quartile, I believe. And so you have to be in the top 25% of everyone who takes it. And so that makes it like a lot more meaningful to have it as like, yes, I'm actually proficient at Excel. Uh And so having that, I think best case scenario, that shows them that like, you know what you're talking about. Worst case scenario, it doesn't actually do anything. And now you just have like another thing on your LinkedIn that is (laughs) for fun. I, I think there there's pros and cons, but nothing to lose sleep over. I I've, I've stopped doing it once I didn't really see anything happening on that. Front, so <laughs> yeah, no more quizzes, but uh, I think they last forever once you get that first quartile. So I'll have it there for a while at least. Yeah, but. no,
1: that's that's a good point, point. and I think you you specifically mentioned Excel for for a good reason. Like there's the basics of it, and then there's like more like advanced tips and tricks and, and techniques, right? That might qualify someone for maybe roles that require a lot of Excel. So maybe that that assessment is just like to identify gaps in your skills and what, what you can like learn more of too, regardless. But yeah, that was the last question. Um, I think we shared a lot there, shared our experiences, some of our advice. So if you like this episode, then let us know by leaving a comment on YouTube or on our LinkedIn posts. And with that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career related resources. I hope to see you there.